for real. Oh, really? That's how you feel. And the guys are like, asking all them questions. Asking all them questions. Why you asking all them questions? Today we mourned the loss of a true friend. I knew this friend for two rounds, or sorry, two holes. Shit. Let's restart. Restart it. Restart it. On you. Today we mourned the loss of a true friend, a, a special friend, a, f- a special friend. Lasted me two holes of golf. The all school special needs golf ball. Mm-hmm. The top flight lasted me two holes. Got me two pars, and then in true fashion. I sliced it into the trees on my third tee box, and it was bound to happen. I will say, though, for that ball, that's probably the straightest you've played. And of all balls to use and hit straight, I mean, that's... that's... It, was, it was stupid good. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Redacted. <laughs> Debatable. So we got our first round of the golf season in. Um, shout out uh, Max Bieber and Michael Camola for... Um, getting us discounts at Redmond Bridge, not yeah, sponsored yet. But how do you think you played? You had fun out there. I, I, I really, had really fun surprised out myself. Um, I will say, like I putt a lot better than I expected on some pretty bad greens oh, yeah, that were recently awful. aerated. Yep. Uh, long grass hadn't been rolled or cut in a while, but found my speed by like the third hole. I was impressed with myself there. So my lag. I don't think I. Th- I only three putt once. That's fantastic. So that was huge for me. Um, we we took winter rules to a new limit. Yes, we. Did. Uh, you know, foot wedges and not playing out of bunkers. And I shot a ninety-eight, but it was a very generous ninety-eight. I shot an eighty-seven. That was probably about a ninety-eight. But it's an so eighty-seven we, on the card. So we we play about the same. Well, well, no, you. I think you're you're discrediting a few shots. Uh, it, it depends on our memory, and my memory I choose right now to be pretty bad. But, I'll but, give you but it. But as I'll as I it. grow in age, I think my temper and my I guess my competitiveness has you know decreased and just makes golfing so much better because it's a game of failure. And we talked about this before, where it's a super mental sport. Yep. And if you are in a mindset where you can just go out there and enjoy the company, where where golf is almost secondary, or your performance, I should say, is almost secondary and not the primary motivation to be out there, I think that's a great place to be, especially at our skill level. And I promise you, as soon as you are consistently sub-90, your anger is going to shoot through the roof. Oh, it's bound to happen. It's (laughs) It's going to come back. It's it's a game of ups and downs. Like Once you're you're pretty stagnant, like as soon as you eclipse 90 then your anger is going to shoot through the roof because you're like, oh, I should be 88, 89 every time. But then as soon as you're like consistently there, you're like, oh, yeah, I can play a bad round and be 89, and I'm fine with that, and I'm back down to an even keel. And then you get a little better, and you're like, oh, I hate this game. How hard would you say is – because obviously going from like uh, shooting 100 to shooting 90 is – it's a few subtle changes, right? And mostly it's just playing smarter golf. But going from 90 to shooting 85, from 85 to 80, that becomes exponentially more difficult. Can you explain why that is more difficult to like drop the same number of strokes um, at, I guess, a lower stroke number? And what goes into dropping those amount of strokes? The difference between 190 is iron play. The difference between 85 and 90 is wedge play. The difference between 80 and 85 is getting up and down. So the combination of like just off the green and then 
putting because if you're shooting 80, you need probably, you know, four one putts in a round. Right. And that's you, difficult. You got, you got a couple of birdies in there as well, probably. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, okay, so the difference, there's actually a statistic out there that I can't remember off the top of my head. But not a math guy. Not a math guy and not a memory guy. But the difference between, like, birdies per round between a four handicap and, like, a ten handicap is one. There's only one birdie uh, that a four handicap will have over whatever a ten handicap is. So it's really not birdies. It's just the number of pars. Yeah. And the number it's, of it's blow consistency. Yeah. So as soon as you can get better, like, anywhere from three to ten yards off the green, if you can be inside of... You know, six feet every time, you're, you're like your money. Yeah, and half of those are going to be one putts. Right, exactly. Well, maybe more than exactly. half of them. If yeah. you're, you but know, if, you, really if you are looking to get, like, or if you're consistently wanting to be below 100, then just it's, it's, it's distance to just the pin hit it off of with your irons. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can hit a seven iron right up next to the green rather than chunking it 120 yards like uh, the man sitting to my right – then you're in business. Winter rules. Winter rules. Winter rules. Hit a bad shot. Chunky. Uh, you know, I'm going to take breakfast ball on the 16th. <laughs> Bre- breakfast balls become lunch balls and then dinner balls. Yes. Past the 15th. Yes. But I am uh, I eat six meals a day, so I get one for every, oh, every of, meal. Of course. Of course. I, every yep, meal yep, I yep. eat. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, like, I, I was really bad. Got pretty good when I was playing pretty much every day, like, four years ago. And then started getting frustrated, lost a little bit of my game, and then realized like, ah, you know, this is fun again because I'm not, yep. I'm not expecting to go low or wanting to go low. I'm just right. back out there wanting right. to have fun. And, so. and there's like, you know, I think at our skill level, there's really no reason to like truly aim for scratch golf other no. than other than like personal glory. Like we're not, right. we're not playing for. You know, money. We're not playing for tournaments. I mean, we're not members anywhere. Uh, yeah. We're not even going to be brought in as a in a member guest right. tournament. Like we're not. Quite Honestly, yet, I so. think if we were brought out for like a business thing, though, which I probably never will in my occupation right now. Yeah, you will. For engineering? Yeah, I don't think so. I think a career changes in my future. I think once I get into maybe the business side of the world, I could see myself doing it. But I think, like I was, I was about to say, like I think right now we'd probably be excellent at that. We certainly wouldn't embarrass ourselves. Exactly. And that's because, okay, the perfect score for a businessman on the golf course is 88. Because you're not beating anyone, but you're not embarrassing yourself. And you, but, and but you don't want to be, like, ridiculously better than the person you're playing with because then they're like, oh, okay, this is a big hot shot. I'm not going to buy his stocks. Little does he know. <laughs> I'm shooting 88, and he's buying my stocks. There we go. Right? There you go. And, and a longer round means you can have more time to make those business Exactly. Deals. What a cold open that we had today. Welcome to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Ryan Eldridge. To my left is Telly Lundquist. Uh, we have some crazy stuff. Uh, the madness, March Madness, oh, almost coming to a close. Um, this is what I have to ask you, Tellier, as our college basketball expert is is this the craziest madness or craziest tournament that we've had in recent memory because yes. in the last eight nine years i can't remember a single one that has this amount of upsets the answer is yes it's the first um it's the first elite eight that we have never had a one seed in we didn't even have a two seed in or sorry no we did yeah we had texas we had texas well, i think the, that was the only one you see that's UCLA correct that's was correct sweet 16 that's maybe? correct yes 
That's correct. Um, so we only had a two seed in the Elite Eight. First time ever since seeding began that we haven't had a one seed in the Elite Eight. And then if you look at the Final Four, it's it's just absolutely ridiculous. You have a four, five, five, nine. Yep. That's three, never, three, ever happened. Three of those teams have not made the Final Four before. Yeah, and UConn's the only one. Right. And UConn is playing with three players who have been fasting for over a week for Ramadan. That I I respect that, and I honestly respect programs for allowing them, absolutely and giving accommodations for that. I know UConn they have uh, like a bunch of peanut butter jellies and a bunch of rehydrations because they don't they don't drink right either. They don't right. drink water during that fast. So uh, I a lot of respect for um, you know that coaching staff for accommodating that, and certainly they're getting it done on the court. And we saw UConn dis- absolutely destroy Gonzaga. Yeah, that um, was a dismantling. And, and I, I feel like UConn played almost the perfect game. At one point in that second half, I think they had 16 assists to three turnovers, oh. which is just ridiculous. Um, did you That's watch- how Joe Naismith created the game, like hoping for that. Right. Did, did you watch that game? And if you did, can you maybe give a little insight on how UConn was just able to dismantle one of the best programs in the nation. I was able to watch the first half. Second half, I kind of gave up on watching because it wasn't too much of a game yeah. at that point. But UConn, and it's interesting because we were talking about, um, we were talking about the the flaws of Gonzaga. I think a week ago, and they were they were due to run into a team that was going to play smart basketball and who was all around more athletic than them. That happened to be UConn. Like I thought. UCLA is the best team in the country, or at least they were the best team in the country coming into the tournament in assist-to-turnover ratio. So I thought that they were going to be smart enough and really athletic with Amari Bailey at the shooting guard, Tiger Campbell, who plays really well within himself and gets to the rim well, and then a shot maker ETN, like Jaime absolute Hawkins. monster there on the inside. Nope. Absolutely hate <laughs> the backup center of ETN. Uh, but... You know, Gonzaga was still able to grind that one out. That was much more of a well, well a wild, we a wild finish in that or a Sweet Sixteen game. A, a wild finish in that game too. Ridiculous! Like, like the last minute shot from there. Ridiculous! Like, like crazy. Yeah, but if you look at what Gonzaga ha- or uh, UConn had against Gonzaga, it was presence on the inside, athletic wings, and then just incredible playmaking and really smart decision making and. Sonogo, the or I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but the big guy on UConn just didn't really allow Drew Timmy to be Drew Timmy. Right. Like that's why he was so good against UCLA is because they didn't really have a big guy to go up against him. Adem Bona was not playing at hundred percent and Drew Timmy had his way. I think he finished with thirty five points or whatever it was. Right, and yeah. like career high in a tournament. Yeah. For him, yeah. It's ridiculous. So you I mean, if you take away him. He's the centerpiece of that offense. They go to him, I I, I bet he touches the ball on 85-90% of possessions. Oh, yeah. And Julian Strother, I don't think, is exactly the playmaker. He's a great shot maker, but he's not really a playmaker for others. And he's not the distributor that they needed. And having lost Nebhard, who was, uh, whose younger brother played phenomenally for Creighton, that's why they made such a long run, is because... Having that pass-first guard is so essential, and UConn has that in Hawkins, and his draft stock is boosting up the boards. Um, I just think UConn has every makeup of a tournament team. If we look back to uh, a week ago, I said one of two teams was going to win this tournament, UConn or Arkansas. They, They were playing in the Sweet 16. UConn dismantles Arkansas, dismantles Gonzaga, 
and yeah, now they're I'm liking my pick. Yeah, that that was a great pick, and now they're the favorites. Um, un- surprisingly, now the favorites in this final four to win the tournament. This is what I have to ask you though: is um, obviously all these teams have to play however many games it is. I think it's six games to win a championship, and obviously you have to beat the team that's in front of you. Um, but putting all that aside, are we seeing the weakest, I guess, set of Final Fours in recent memory? Because it's just so all over the board where you just have a lot of these mid-major teams. And you know, we see, like, last year's Final Four was all Blue Bloods, right? One and two seeds. We had Villanova, Kansas, Duke, and I believe Kentucky. North Carolina. North Carolina, not Kentucky. Um, you, you stack up this Final Four against the last four and five Final Fours. Is this the weakest Final Four that we've seen just from a skill level? From a skill level, absolutely. From a playing, like a, a team level, absolutely not. Um, like these teams play so well, and like UConn's doing it with a second-year head coach. Is that right? No, they've got Hurley, so he's fine. Uh, but Miami with Jim Laranega, that's old-school guy. Like these guys have been through the ringer. San Diego State has a phenomenal coach. Um, I think San Diego State is making a great case to be a new Pac-12 team. Yep. Like this is exactly what to, they needed yeah, to, to do to come in. For but they, UCLA, they've got an experienced USC. coach who's been through it. Uh, they've got experienced players like Matt Bradley, who's my least favorite player in the world, only because two years ago San Diego State was playing against Wyoming in Wyoming in Laramie, Wyoming, which is the highest elevation in the country, and Wyoming was my pick of the century. And Matt Bradley hit a buzzer beater <laughs> for me to lose, <laughs> so I no longer like Matt Bradley. But watching the rest of San Diego State with Mensa on the inside, like that's a strong team. But if you look at FAU's route, they didn't have to play Purdue. They played Fairleigh Dickinson in the second round. So all these teams that you're talking about are like the weakest Final Four. It's like, yes, but they didn't really have to. They didn't beat have the, the hardest team. Yeah, they didn't have the hardest path to get there. Yeah, but although all that goes back to the like experienced old graduate transfer teams that are playing at mid majors and were able to have those upsets, but. What a tournament. It's been yeah. so fun to watch. And nonetheless, we, we talked about this before, and, and the stat from last year was that if you bet $100 on the underdog, for every single game, you would have made $1,300. Mm-hmm. Right? I think this year is you know, kind of exhibit A of why you should be betting underdogs because mm-hmm. anything can happen. That If you bet $100 on the underdog this year, I bet you make $2,500, you know, $3,000. Probably. I should do the math on that. We should absolutely go back. You put a hundred dollars on Fairleigh Dickinson. You're that's already like, how much is that back? That's like twenty five hundred back. Already. Easy, yeah, easy. They're probably plus five hundred, plus five thousand. I should say. So I maybe. think I think they were. They were yeah. what twenty six and a half plus point 5, dogs or something plus like 10, that. Thousand, yeah, it's ridiculous, and crazy stuff. There were there were times when the odds weren't even available on that. Right. So yeah, yeah. I took every twelve through fifteen seed to win in the first round. There were, what was it? Three, I think three or four upsets in the first round and on the first day. And then the only upset of a 12-plus seed on day two was Fairleigh Dickinson. So I ended up uh, not betting on the 16s because it's only happened once before, and I lost money. So, but it's right okay. On. It was only a couple, like, it was like 20 bucks. But. And I'm going to end this March Madness, you know, kind of se- segment with this last thing is uh, San Diego State and FAU. I had out in my first round. Yeah, you so, sure did. You sure a, did. My, I my, did too, though, for the record. I did pa- too. Paper bracket's still perfect, though. 
Yep, absolutely. Paper, Fill it pencil. out as you go. Um, quickly, who do you have here? FAU is uh, three-point dogs to San Diego State, and Miami is five-and-a-half-point dogs to UConn. Now, from my limited expertise, I think I'm just going to have to go with the favorites here. San Diego State um, have been playing really well, and I don't. FAU plays a really good team basketball, but I don't know if they can just you know, continue to keep that pressure up. They've played so many games already thus far. I have San Diego State winning that one, and then UConn, um, we talked about them playing against the Zags. They just, it feels like they're firing on all, all cylinders right now. I think that UConn pick that you said last week was perfect. Um, have UConn winning it all. Yeah, I've got FAU actually in an upset over San Diego State because I hate Matt Bradley. So sure, sure, go Owls. Sure. Um, so I've got <laughs> FAU and UConn and UConn. Be crazy if FAU, I, I am rooting for FAU all the way. Absolutely. You have to root for chaos after all that's been done. Uh, and chaos, I hope we get in the MLB season. Happy opening day. Absolutely. Um, boy. Gonna go see the Mariners. It, Absolutely. You know, this is one of the first opening days where I, I feel like you know, we have a lot of hope in the city of Seattle. We, we made the playoffs last year for pretty much the first time since I've been living here, my 20 years of living here in Seattle. Um, and this year, just it feels like we're only going to get better. We have Luis Castillo coming back. We have a really good one, two, three. And, uh, you know, in the rotation, we have number four, George Kirby, who's emerging into his own as well. And it's very exciting to be a Seattle Mariners fan right now. I am really hoping that uh, Emerson Hancock can come up quickly and take <laughs> – take Marco Gonzalez's spot oh, yeah. because I absolutely hate that guy. It was like three years ago where Marco Gonzalez was our number one. And that, yes! <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't even have a wind-up. So no, that, he doesn't. That is, I hate him. That is awful. I hate him. Go Zags, but I hate him. Right. He was a Zag. I didn't know that? Yeah. Um, dumb. But no, I despise him. Uh, so let, let's get into our predictions for op- or from opening day forward. Um, Ryan, who do you have coming out of the AL here? Right, so from the east, I, you know, as a Yankees fan, I have to be a little bit of a homer, and I have to go with the Yankees um, going out and winning that AL East. But just when you look at the players on that team, obviously they have the bats. They're bringing in Volpe. They have Oswaldo Pereza also in that shortstop role to take out IKF. Uh, who was Thank a, God. Yeah, he was a liability. Both he was supposed to be a really good glove, and he, for some reason, and this happens to a lot of players like Sonny Gray, the lights of New York just does not fit everybody, and I think that was the case with IKF. My perfect world is that this infield is going to be Volpe, uh, Glaber Torres, Peraza, and um, Lemayhu or Rizzo. Uh, well, you take out Peraza's your fifth, uh, excuse me, and you have LeMayhew yeah. in there, and then you have Rizzo at first base, and then maybe you can switch Rizzo and in for um, LeMayhew, who played a lot of first as well. Mm-hmm. you got to get Josh Donaldson out of that rotation. Yes, Our please. outfield is obviously just huge big bats, um, and then I really like our rotation as well. Obviously, we have Garrett Cole, but we're going to have Severino coming back in mid-April. We have Carlos Rodon coming back mid-April. We got Frankie Montas coming back mid-April. A bunch of our relievers also coming back. Tommy Canely. I think you know we're the Yankees are known as the Bronx Bombers, but I think this year when they do go far, I think it's going to be on pitching. It's going to have to be. I think they have a one through four where all four of those guys on their day could win a Cy Young if they truly get hot. I think you're right. I mean. Obviously, they have the payroll to do it. They have for years, and um, that's one thing. I don't have them winning their division, 
but I have them making the playoffs because yeah. it's hard not to. So who, who do you have winning that division? Tell I've got the Blue Jays. Um, I know people are really high on them, and they've got you know pretty much everything that you could ask for in a team, but I think finally they get it done and top the division. Um, I think the Rays actually have a bit of a regression. I don't think uh, Shane McClanahan will have nearly the season that he had a year ago. I think it's really hard for him to keep up that level. Um and I think the Rays finally catch up to their low payroll, and I think they missed the playoffs this season, actually. Right. Right, but so I do still have three teams coming out of that division. Yeah, the, the AL is probably top to bottom the best. I disagree. In, in the American League, top to bottom the best. I disagree. I think, think the AL West is better, I actually. I think so. I do. I think... Uh, so I've got two teams out of the AL West. Well, let's talk it. about Obviously, the AL East first. Okay, right. let's let's get through. So, the AL so East. I personally have the Rays and the Orioles coming out of that division. And I've got the Orioles well. too. I but, love. Well, the I'll Baltimore talk about the Rays as well, and I think they. We talk about their payroll stuff, um, but I think you know they they've kept all their key players in their rotation. Yes, McClanahan maybe has a regression year, but it, they are so ahead of the curve on the analytics. I think a lot of the rule changes are going to help them in their favor because they just play smart baseball, almost that money ball that we saw the A's run in the early two thousands. And I think they're going to do enough to get out of that loaded division, where even the even the Red Sox I feel like are are no joke as well. Like they're not a walk in the park. I think they are. I think the Red Sox are I, I would, awful, yeah. but they already uh, they already lost opening day to the Orioles ten to nine. But they were down a lot more than that. The, um, the the Red Sox scored five in the last two innings to make it close, but uh, Orioles still come out on top and finish my first parlay win of the season. There Thank you very go. much. Thank there you very you go. much. One yes. for one for the MLB opening weekend or opening yeah op- opening week I should say. But yeah, I think the Orioles. They finally got Rushman, you know, and he is who is coming so, into his so own. hot. His bat is so good. The way he's able to just swing with so much explosiveness, From but also composure too. Yeah, and and I told I saw him play U Dub when he was mm-hmm. at Oregon State, and it's just as a catcher myself, it was not. It was very hard not to be in awe of everything that he's able to do from and the catching still possession are at this level. Yeah, it's crazy. And then they're bringing in, uh, uh, you know. Gunnar Henderson, who's going to have his second year as well, um, as well as that pitcher that I totally forgot his name, Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez, that's right. He's huge prospect as well for him. They have a very bright future ahead of them, and I think the future is now for Cedric the Mullins, Jorge Mateo. Right. Like they've just got dudes. Yeah. I think Adley Rutschman finishes top five in MVP voting. I, I honestly think he has a better chance of winning. And that that's MVP. not just because he went five for five today. Like I think even even before today, I had him yeah. making a jump. Exactly. Before today, I I would have said that depending on the odds for um, Rutschman, maybe just put a little ten twenty dollar bet for him to win the MVP. Odds are yeah. going to be good now, and those odds are going to get lower when he continues to play well. Mm-hmm. I'd say so. So we've both got uh, three teams coming out of the AL East, right. even though I think they're not the deepest. All right. Let's go to the West. You think the West? are the deepest division in the AL. We both have the Astros winning that division, obviously. Um, I wish they weren't so good again. It's, but it's like, come on. In, in their defense, that outside of Altuve, it feels like that core of players that they rely on now is not associated with the whole It's a new team. It's a new team. And they're always going to be tainted for that for the next decade or so. Um, but, you know, players like... Pena, like Jordan Alvarez, they're going to have Jose Abreu back. Yep. Those guys are dudes. Those Kyle guys, Tucker. Kyle Tucker as well. Those guys are dudes that 
you know, it's hard not to like them, and they obviously weren't associated with that asterisk win of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, did they still have Bregman? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hate that guy. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Hate, hate Although, Bregman. I love his fielding, because uh, he introduced the bounce throw to second base, and coaching, oh, that's the way to go. coaching high school baseball on a turf field, like, they have the most ludicrous throws from third base to second. So hard teaching them that little bounce throw is so essential. There's something about, like, if you miss that throw, it's going into the outfield and that runner's going to take third. That kind of gets in your head. Like, Absolutely. When I played third, when I played third, it was that was one of the hardest throws. Unless you just throw it all the way through to the right fielder and then double him up at third. <laughs> that's, that's a move. Chest not checkers. <laughs> yeah, 40 chest. Exactly. Bait them into trying to take the next base and then gun them out. Yeah, but, but speaking of the ALS, we both have the Mariners. I think there's a little bit of homerism in there. Yeah, hard not to. Yeah, they're they're probably the second best team in that division, though. But outside of that, um, you know, A's aren't going to be good. I don't think the Angels are going to be that good. I I, I actually only have the Grom. I'm kind of high on the Angels this year, actually, believe it or not. Um, I think they finally put together a staff that can actually go out and win a few games. So they did boost that pitching quite a bit. Oh, absolutely. I will give them that credit. Like their their bullpen is still going to be pretty trash, but they've got Tyler Anderson. They've got uh, Reed Detmers. They've got Patrick Sandoval, Ranger Suarez, like, and Shohei Otani, of course. Right. So I think they actually finally put together a, a starting rotation that can go out and win a series, sweep a series. Um, it's just whether or not their their bats can show it's up. Whether or not Mike Trout can stay healthy too. Anthony it's... Rendon back healthy—that's huge. People are underrated on that. But yeah, I mean, if if Mike Trout can play 150 plus games, I think. They actually have a legitimate shot at, at a wild card spot. I guess in their defense, it's you know they do have free wins against the A's. They do have free wins against the Rangers when the Grom isn't pitching. So there's a lot of wins out there for the taking. But obviously, they do need to play Houston. They're, you know, they drop two, three games in a series against them. Mm-hmm. Probably they. But have, Mike, Mike Trout is the Mariner killer. That's true. He's unreal <laughs> against the Mariners. Stat, I think his stats against the Mariners are better than any other player in MLB history against, against any, any yes. other team. Absolutely. Like, I think he's hit like 60 home runs against the Mariners. It's ridiculous. Like it's so frustrating. Right. Like, take his home run prop every single time he plays the Mariners. Yep. And have in the, to. Yep. In the AL Central, we have Cleveland going through, and I think... There's no other team that can I think the White Sox, they have some young players. Eloy Jimenez, um, you know, Luis, Luis Robert. Robert. Ro- is it Robert or I Robert? Think it's Ro- I think it's... Okay, I Luis it's Robert. Robert, yep. Robert. Um, that obviously can do some damage, but it's, it's hard to have them beating Cleveland at this moment when they have nothing to show um, that they can't compete to this point. But I wouldn't be surprised if they win that division. I think Cleveland has the best top-to-bottom pitching staff between... I think they have the best bullpen in the AL, at least. I I just think like I think the they Yankees are, are they better. are so they are so so good at just playing small ball and like being able to play for one run and when it comes down to it a lot of the time they're going to need to be able to do that that's what they did last year and I don't see them like that that type of play doesn't regress from one season to the next right. I think especially now that shifts are minimized like that plays to the Guardians absolutely. I actually would disagree because when you have a shift that and that shifts the favor towards teams that are willing to bunt and willing to play small ball versus teams that you have lefties that want to pull. Now you're going to have more base hits, more doubles. I don't know. I feel like taking out the shift maybe hurts Cleveland in their small ball um, tactics tactics a little bit, but 
I don't think it's enough to have them lose that, you know, probably one of the weakest divisions in the MLB. Yeah, I still don't think it's enough. Yeah. yeah. So in summary, I have the Yankees winning the AL East, Cleveland winning the Central, and the Astros winning the West. In the wild card, I have the Rays, Orioles, and Mariners going through in no particular order. Um, and Tellier has Toronto, Cleveland, Houston winning their respective divisions, and Baltimore, Seattle, and the New York Yankees going through to the wild card. Okay, to I the like NL. The National League. No, or desig- yes, designated hitter now for the National League, and I absolutely love to see that. No one pays to watch pitchers hit. No, who, yeah, no one likes yeah. it. it. It's obviously cool when they do pimp a bomb, but that, that is few, <laughs> just rare. few and far between. It's I remember rare. Madison Bumgarner one time pitch hit for a he did. position player. Absolutely, he did. Yeah. That guy could rake. Didn't he hit a bomb, too, in that exact at-bat? No, he struck out. Well, they they also at another point. I think it was in the postseason. They hit him in the eight spot. Yes, yes, they did. They, <laughs> that was they awesome. did do that. That was awesome. So, it kind of feels bad for the uh, for whoever was yeah, behind totally, them. Totally. It's like in high school baseball when you would get DH as a position player because your pitcher is just like you know an yeah. athlete and obviously that, D1, that's what the growls yeah. do. That's what the growls yeah. do. There you go. Go over like Bear Creek. Go over like Bear Creek. But uh, I have Philadelphia winning the East, St. Louis winning the Central, and the Dodgers winning the West. Um, you have almost the same thing. You have Atlanta winning the East as well as St. Louis and the Dodgers winning their respective divisions. I think St. Louis and LA Dodgers are... They're going to run I don't, don't want to say they're locks because they do have some firepower in their divisions, I namely the Padres away. in the West. But I, I think the Dodgers just... They've shown consistency in it in being able to win that division. The Padres are a loaded all-star team at this point, but until they can show that they can get it done, that they can play as a team versus just individual star players, I think the Dodgers are just, you know, the consistency is key. I think they win that division. Same thing with St. Louis. St. Louis as well. St. Louis, just top to bottom, is such a good team. I think if you look at the NL, like, there, I think there's a lot more parity in the AL because there are a few teams that can squeak in there. But in the NL, I think it's really just a battle for that third wildcard spot. Oh, yeah. Like, in, in both of our predictions, we have we only have one team different that all makes the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that last... So, top five st- spots in the a- NL, in no particular order, go to Atlanta, St. Louis, Dodgers, the Phillies and the Padres. I don't think there's a team that can really squeak in there. Right. Especially now that the Padres are and at for full what, strength. They have Xander Bogarts. Like, it's stupid. For, for what it's worth, I I can totally see the Braves winning their division, too. I just have Philadelphia because they were able to w- make the World Series yeah. last year. I think Trey Turner is going to have an awesome year um, coming off of that World Baseball Classic. But that's literally just a coin flip. I, go, I literally flipped a coin in my head. I'm like, yeah, take Phillies. But the Braves could easily win that division. Um, the Padres, with their team, there's no way that there's no way that they aren't able to at least make the wild card. Um, and you have the D-backs in that sixth spot. I do. I think I think they've got enough firepower and like the the best combination of experience, guys who are on the come up, and then young guys. Like they've got a rookie of the year candidate in Corbin Carroll who. It's an absolute stud out there. Yeah, well, we'll get to Corbin Carroll in a minute. But, like, Zach Gallen also, we'll get to him more, too. But that's a true ace. Yeah. And I, I, I think the, D-back, the D-backs can do it. Like, yeah. they've got a good guy behind the dish. They've got great infield and oof, love yeah. the D-backs. Yeah. I have the Brewers taking my sixth spot. I just know they're a great team to play with on the show. Corbin. They lost to the Cubs today. 
They got know, shut out. Didn't know that. They got shut that. out. Didn't know that. By the Cubs. Didn't know that. But yeah. I, I chose dumb instead of the New York Mets, mostly because of bias, because I am a Yankees fan, but also the Mets are going to Mets. You know, the Mets so, are the Mets. Mets. Are Mets. Um, so I just had the Brewers in that six spot just because they're such a fun team to play in the show. And at that point, when you have some two, three, four close teams, you kind of got to go with your gut. And I think Corbin Burns is going to have a fantastic year, a Cy Young candidate from him. They have a great, uh, you know, great bullpen as well. Uh, Devin Williams obviously absolutely lit it up in the World Baseball Classic. So I have the Brewers going through, but could see that going to three, four, five different teams, depending on what plays out. I think Corbin Burns has the biggest regression of any pitcher in baseball. Why do you think that? I think guys are going to figure him out. Like, even the Cubs, like, I know this is a little recency bias, but the Cubs had four hits. He gave up four earned runs and walked three in his opening day start through five innings. I think guys are going to get to him. I don't know why, but I just think he, like, obviously he's an incredibly impressive pitcher. I just think he has the biggest like regression this season just due to the fact that it's like the same thing as a, a rookie quarterback like coming out there being a stud and then his second year is awful because defenses figure out like how to play him i think the same thing goes for corbin burns sure okay thanks i mean, <laughs> okay, I'm the, thanks. I, mean I, I i don't watch the brewers a lot they're an nl team i watch more ale than anything especially the central um but the brewers are not a team that i'm you know i care that much about I, like I said, but you I think, still have them in the wild card. I see. I see. They could. I see. Well, I see that spot could potentially go to the Mets. I think that spot. Could, I think it could go to the Diamondbacks. I think it could, you know, potentially go to the Rockies as well. There's a lot of lot or, or the Giants as well. There's a lot of great teams that could take that spot. Like you said, the top five though, I think is pretty much set in stone, barring yeah. any, you know, crazy injury stuff going on. Um, and we're gonna take a picture of this. We're gonna come back to this, you know, at the halfway point, at the ending point, and see who's ran wrong. Oh, I really feel bad about that. That does not excite me. <laughs> that does not excite me. We got to keep you in check somewhat. <laughs> but going on to the awards yep. for MVPs, I have Trey Turner and Shohei Otani. I think Shohei. It's uh, hard to compete with that. Yeah, it's it's. I didn't want to choose the betting favorite for that, but it's been like three. Uh, how long has he been in the league for? Three years. Shohei. Yeah. Yeah. Two, three. This is gonna be his fourth year, and every single year that he's played, he has excelled at both, um, both at the plate and on the mound. And there's always been the question of, do you take like one side of that from the MVP voting, or do you take both and combine their wars um, and kind of his impact from both offense and from the pitching perspective? I think his fourth year is finally the one where the voters are going to be like, hey, he had a great World Baseball Classic. The narrative fits him to, you know, have a really good year. And you can make, as long as you make that argument, like, hey, we're going to take his contributions from both of his strong points, there's no reason why he shouldn't win that MVP. And the odds for him are terrible. It's like only plus 220. I, I would never, I would never, <laughs> yeah. I would never make that bet, but obviously he's the better's favorite. And I hate to make that one, but Trey Turner is not the better's favorite. And I just think he's in such a good lineup where he's protected by Bryce Harper, by JT Real Muto. Um, He's coming off Kyle of a, Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber as well. He's coming off a great World Baseball Classic as well. I just think he's going to keep it going. Well, honest recency he, bias from the World Baseball Classic what, from Ryan Eldridge. Yeah. <laughs> great tournament, by the way, too. Though. Oh, that's we, we I don't know how we, there we, are any doubt. We haven't talked. In, we haven't talked enough about that. Um, we'll, we'll bring in Ryan Long, who struck out uh, best player in baseball, Mike Trout. Growl's very own, but you know Trey Turner on his A game is a five tool player, and I just see him making that. You know, little extra step up, um, and I think he's a great bet for for that MVP. 
I think I go with an even longer shot, although when you hear his name, like you don't you're like, Oh yeah, that guy could win it. Ronald Acuna Junior. Right. Like back for a full healthy year. You know, I I just think he's an absolute stud. He's still super young and I think he is so he every I think everyone can get behind him being one of the new faces of baseball. Yeah. They love his energy. He's not he's like a, he's a, a great Yossi personality kind of yeah. player. Like he does he's not a he's not a, a He's passionate he's, he's passionate without being annoying. Exactly. Exactly. But I like especially on that team too. Like you talk about the protect, protection that Trey Turner has. Acuna has that as well. Yeah. And like, I mean, the arguments that made for tra- opportunities the, for him to shine. The arguments that made for Trey Turner can be made for 10, 15 other players. Absolutely, half of them on the Padres. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true, true, true. Um, but I've got Acuna in the NL and Jose Ramirez. I was going to write AL. that down too. You look at the competition that he plays; he could put up video game numbers this year. And I really like, I really like a lefty to win these awards. Because of the lack of shifting. Like, they didn't do it too much against Jose Ramirez, but they can't do it anymore now. So, I think pull side is going to be easy for him from the left. And, like, Jose Ramirez, come on. Such Give a me good, that value. Such a, such a good lefty hitter. Give me the value. I think he's plus, like, 1,500. Well, Shohei's sure also a lefty batter, so that just helps my argument even more. Yeah, that, yeah good I feel, I feel like a bitch for taking him now, though. No. I mean, if we're really like, if we do take a picture of it and look back, like you're probably be like, yeah, I still like that bet. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'll be able to say that, <laughs> uh, but I had to, like yeah. you Ra- put yours down first, and I had to do something. You different. had to do something. Like, I also I didn't want to take Shohei because I didn't want to be that guy. You yeah. apparently are that dude. Sure, I'm that dude. I think I think like you said, with kind of the changes in the game, the fact that you can only pick off two times. We saw today in opening day that Acuna was picked off twice and then he had a little smile on his face because he realized the pitcher couldn't pick off again. So he just took off for that stolen base. I think this year stolen bases are going to go up. I think that bodes well for a lot of the awards. And that's why my rookie of the years are going to be Corbin Carroll and Volpe who are both great base stealers. Five tool guys get on base a lot. They walk well. Corbin Carroll, a lefty. Boom. Corbin Carroll, a lefty. Shout out Seattle, Washington, and his contract extension. He played like Woo. he's played less than forty games in the MLB, and he got like a what is it, ten years, ninety-one million. I think he got eight years and like a hundred and eleven oh. or something like that. Get but, uh, get the okay. Backs here's, on. here's the question: Like you're a young guy, you haven't even played a full season. Like you're still available for Rookie of the Year. Would you take a contract like that, even though if you have a good season, you could probably get twice, three times that number? So we talked about this earlier, and at first glance, I was like, you know, Corbin Carroll is only going to get better with time. And your second contract when you become when you turn 25, 26, after that rookie contract ends, you can probably get a $200, 300000000 million contract. Um, but when you look at it you know, a little further, when that contract ends, Corbin Carroll is going to be 29 or 30 years old. And that's he's going to be in his prime. So depending on his progression with that second contract, if an extension doesn't come before then, he's going to have the ability with an inflated market in ten years to get maybe four hundred, five hundred million, depending on what the market is. And then with that eight-year contract, it does protect you from things like injury, like regression. If you don't become the player that you truly are, you already got that money, you know, up front. I think, and you- most of it's guaranteed too in baseball. Oh, absolutely. But I, I think the biggest thing about that is, like, if you take a, a contract like that, you're also allowing your franchise to go out and sign an, another great player or two. Right. Like, because he's not taking three times that money, 
the Diamondbacks can go out and make plays. And the Diamondbacks aren't a team that can just throw money. Exactly. Never. So they need they need guys like Corbin Carroll to be able to take that kind of cut. Or I, 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 I wouldn't say it's a cut right now, but looking towards his, his potential and, and what he may be in the future, I think that's really smart and, and the best move that the Diamondbacks could have made. Yeah, the more I think about it, I think this is the best like deal for both sides. 100%. Just be, for Carroll, it's security. And for the Diamondbacks and the rest of the MLB, who thinks Carroll's going to be an absolute stud moving forward, it gives them, like you said, the ability to sign more players and have like an eight-year window to make plays and be competitive. Not a lot of teams have eight-year windows. And if you think about it, too, like if the Diamondbacks kind of fold, Cor- Corbin Carroll is going to be a like number one trade target. And with that, everyone's con- going to go out that, and get yeah, him with, with that, that contract, contract. You can yeah, get exactly. so much. You can exactly. get so much back. So I think that's that's a studly move because yeah. that's an easy play for a playoff contender to go out and be like, oh yeah, trade deadline we'll go get Carroll. He's not going to give us that big of a hit. Right. That's huge. Right. Um, I've got Gunnar Henderson. Yeah, Anthony Volpe was a homer <laughs> pick, uh, but Gunnar Henderson. You, you clawed my <laughs> I, Shohei. I know. You my I Shohei know. pick, but you know Gunnar Henderson's kind of the same energy. I'm just high on the Orioles. That's all. It is. Like, the, I had to take it with Orioles. a lot of these awards. It's just like you got you got a short list of ten guys. You kind of have to go with your gut because baseball is a unpredictable sport. Anyone can get hot during any any season. I'm more so. I'm more so hope that the that Gunner is just like playing well enough to let the Orioles make the playoffs. That's all I care about. Like I don't care if he wins Rookie of the Year. I just hope he plays well enough to actually get the Orioles over the hump. Yeah, I think everyone wants to see the Orioles make that. You know, 100%. Plus, that, that's, what, that's what the Mariners were last year, and now the Orioles are the America's team. Shout out the Kings as well. The uh, Sacramento Kings, who made the playoffs for the first time. How about it? You gotta years. love it. Light the beam. Light the beam. All right, Cy Young, you've got Garrett Cole, Homer pick, and um, I just want Zach Homer. Gallen. Yeah. Go Diamondbacks. Well, I think Zach Gallen, for him, like, like we talked about the Diamondbacks being a team that could potentially be competitive. And if they are going to be competitive, Zach Gallen's going to be have to be that guy, and he's going to have to have the mentality, which, uh, you know, I'm going to be the guy that gives my team a win every five days. Yeah, I think he's going to have that mentality. I think he's an absolute dog, and he has the stuff to back it up. I think this is going to be a breakout. Uh, well, last year was the breakout year for him, but I think he's going to take another extra step, and now he's got you know more attention on him. The lights are going to be in Arizona for a lot longer with Carroll in there as well, and I think he's just going to absolutely eat it up. I think Zach Gallon has a 17-win season. That would be if they if they could get if he does that, wins if, out of him. If he if he does that, Diamondbacks will probably make the playoffs. I agree. Um, Garrett Cole showed his stuff today, like four pitch walk to the first batter, and then eight Wait, of the yeah. next nine outs are strikeouts. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I mean, the guy's going to be good with spider tack or not. But right. um, I've got Luis Castillo coming out of the AL for the Cy Young. I mean, I, I, think, I, I think that's a great bet. I think he, like his numbers are going to be there, even if the Mariners bats don't show up. I think so. I mean, he, he he's that good. He, he did not get like a lot of the limelight and a lot of the attention that he truly deserved when he was in Cincinnati. Now that Seattle has as you know a relatively big spotlight on them with all our young studs that we have, Julio Rodriguez being probably number one in that list. I think Castillo is just cause, cause when we look at all these awards, right? It's not just we're, we're not talking about the best players. It's you got to think of think of the narrative. That goes along oh, with them as well. And Castillo absolutely has that narrative, a way better narrative than Garrett Cole, who's already won two. Absolutely. 
I think you're so right there. Uh, and then I've got Sandy Alcantara going back to back in the NL. Guy's just dirty. Guy, guy's good, and he's also a workhorse. <laughs> like really he'll is. give you eight innings on a bad day. Just the NL is so loaded with their pitchers, though. You know, you have uh, obviously Creighton Kershaw is is still good on his best day. You have Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander now you, coming like, into the NL. Max Freed too. Max Freed, Spencer ridiculous. Spencer Strider. It's it's like I chose Zach Gallen, you chose Sandy Alcantara, but that could be like one of fifteen guys. And when we look at this three four months into the season, I think there's a real possibility that both of our picks are just not going to be even competitive. Because you got players like Scherzer and, and yeah, Herr Lambert and, and, and Freed just absolutely lighting up the stat sheet. All right. That'll Happy do it. Happy opening day. Happy opening day. That's Ryan Eldridge and Tyler Lundquist. For this real. has been a Misinterpreted Podcast. Oh, really? That's how you feel. And the guys be like, asking all them questions. Asking all them questions. Why are you asking all them questions? Making statements. Uh,